Mac Power Users, episode 693, Workflows with Mark Bramhill. Hey everybody, it's David Sparks. I'm joined by Stephen Hackett today. I hope you're having a great day. We are the Mac Power Users, where we talk about getting better at using your Apple technology. And today we've got a guest I'm super excited to introduce to the show, Mark Bramhill. Hey, Mark. Hey, David. Great to be here with y'all. Yeah, it, it is. I am, a, I guess you'd call it a super fan. Mark was the <laughs> producer of an amazing, delightful podcast called Welcome to Macintosh, uh, which is in, will we call it hiatus, Mark? Or uh, Yeah, I'd say I'd say hibernation. Uh, hibernation. I have things that I want to, to do still for the show at some point, and it's just a matter of when, when the right time and uh, stories come along. Yeah. Well, they're, they're really stories, the right word you it's a, it's really, um, you, cause Mark, you have a history. We're going to get into all this in public radio <laughs> and, and your storytelling comes out in your podcast episodes, but there's, if you've not listened to welcome to Macintosh, there are 18 episodes of delight waiting for you. Thank you so much. I really, uh, means a lot to hear that coming from y'all. <laughs> Before we dive too far in, we got a little bit of housekeeping, uh, this week, uh, this is the Relay FM membership drive season uh, where a bunch of shows pu- publish annual specials for all members. So you can be a member of any Relay FM show. You get access to all of them. Uh, ours is coming out. Uh, and, well, as you listen to this in just a few days, we're doing a Q&A. You still have some time to submit questions. Uh, we want those questions. Uh, so you can do that on our feedback form. And if you're not a member, uh, now's a great time. More Power Users is our ad-free longer version of the show each and every week. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about using tech in bird watching because that is an area that Mark <laughs> has become an expert in, which we're going to get to in the show. Uh, I'm super fascinated by it. Uh, but now's a great time. So if you're not a member, uh, check it out, relay.fm slash MPU, and there's a couple of join buttons there at the top of the page. Yeah, and if you want to get us those questions, you you literally have one day to get them to us after this episode releases. Yeah. <laughs> Just one request, make them weird. Make them weird. All right, so Mark, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Welcome to Macintosh, which I echo everything David said, <laughs> uh, but you've done a couple of other projects, and right now you're working on a project called BirdNote. Tell us a little bit about your work in the audio world, a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are now. Yeah, so um, I got into podcasting, honestly, listening to shows like Mac Power Users, Uh Back, uh, I'll make you feel old for a second, but back in high school, one of my friends, <laughs> one of my friends' dads, uh, Randy Horowitz, he uh, got me into Mac Power Users and some of the other kind of uh, Relay FM adjacent uh, shows. It was pre-Relay at the time, but uh, then became kind of just obsessed with podcasting as a format and in college wound up just trying and experimenting, making my own uh, audio stories and welcome to Macintosh actually was kind of my first try at creating the show. I really wanted to hear, uh, that it felt like I had heard so many great Apple stories, uh, mentioned or told in the middle of like a longer podcast and knew enough things to be like, all right, I think this deserves to really be spotlighted and given, uh, attention so that it can, be easily found and kind of uh, hold up as a, a piece of history. Uh, 
And I didn't really expect that people would listen to that uh, when, <laughs> when I started making it. But uh, evidently, I was not the only one who wanted a show like it. So <laughs> that was really a, a delightful way to start making uh, audio stories. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but in 2016, you and I recorded like a bonus episode of Welcome to Macintosh about OS X versus OS X, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, the 10 is still in Apple's, some of Apple's marketing, like Logic Pro 10, and then <laughs> apparently they're going to have XR OS, so however you're going to pronounce that, it's a mess. But uh, I ran into to my, like, one of my college professors, like in the grocery store or something, and her son had told her about this episode. Like, wasn't Steven uh, a student of yours? And she, like, known that I'd done podcasting, but apparently that was, like, the first time she had heard someone, like, <laughs> that I'd broken through. It was like, cool. You know, like, that's that's awesome. This, oh, wow. This uh, episode made me look impressive to my old college professor. <laughs> so thank you for making me look legitimate. Oh, my gosh. That's delightful. I love that so much. Well, that was, that was the show that... um kind of I got started with and basically used uh, my time in college as like a my senior project was more or less making the, making the show mm. uh, more or less the the biggest thing for making college work for me was finding uh, ways to take the stuff that I wanted to do uh, or like personal projects and ambitions and finding professors who were like excited about that and uh, would kind of let me run with it. Um, and that was uh, really a delight. Um, but yeah, since since then, uh, I've made some other projects like Enthusiast, which is kind of a, was a fun little project at the start of the pandemic. Um, basically, little vignettes of people sharing a, an obsession or thing that they're excited about, like... Uh, uh, fish sauce, airplanes, uh, apples, not the computer, but the fruit, uh, <laughs> uh, duct tape. So those are, those were very fun to make. Um, especially kind of that feeling, uh, that I think a lot of us missed at the beginning of lockdown of, uh, getting to hear the enthusiasms of, uh, someone at like a party or whatever, uh, and just getting to learn about, a world you had no idea existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that was a very fun project to make as well. Um, but the past uh, five-ish years now, I've been working for BirdNote, which is a public radio show. Uh, it's an independent organization. And uh, since 2005, uh, they have put out a show uh, just about every day. They, I think it was initially a few days a week. And for a long time, it's been 365 days a year. There is a one minute and 45 second show about birds, <laughs> which feels almost uh, almost like a parody of public radio. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's something that I I think is just delightful. And uh, in the world of environmental and kind of nature climate reporting, um, I think it fills a really unique niche where you know, there's important work to be done reporting on a lot of the bad things that are happening in in uh, kind of the environmental world. But uh, if all you're ever hearing is the bleak, depressing news, it's hard to actually feel like you 
any energy to do anything. Um, and so kind of the focus of Bird Note is being a tiny moment of inspiration to either hopefully spark uh, a little bit of care or joy for uh, for the environment or for birds, or uh, to remind you, you know, what you love or care about in the environment in the first place. I have a great bird story for you, Mark. I don't know if my audience wants to hear it or not, but at some point, <laughs> it literally right. happened, happened me two days ago. <laughs> well, we could talk about that offline. Yeah, we will. We will. <laughs> it, it involves a uh, it involves drama with a happy ending. Let's just put it. All right. All there right. Happy endings are good. Yeah. yeah. My uh, our, our youngest son is into birds. He's big into penguins, but all, all sorts of birds and. Uh, when you, I think, announced when you were doing this show, uh, he was still pretty young. Cause you've been there a while now, but in the last couple of years during the pandemic, uh, he started listening to some podcasts like Kid Stuff, and he loves Bird Note. And, you know, y'all, I mean, an episode <laughs> a day, A, like, I mean, hats off to the production that makes that possible. But because of the <laughs> format, he caught up super quickly, right? It's different if you start listening to MPU on episode 693, right? They're all two hours long. But having uh, having that short format means it's it's pretty, pretty easy to, to catch up. And uh, I'm very curious from a, not necessarily from a production standpoint, but from a uh, sort of mindset and storytelling perspective, what is that one minute and 45 seconds like, what does that do to the process and how y'all think about what goes into an episode? Because, I mean, I've been talking longer than that now since I started this, this <laughs> section. Yeah, it's something where, you know, I think it's really counterintuitive for people. Um, there's that uh, kind of famous, usually misattributed quote. I don't actually know who it's from, but the, if I had time, I would have more time, I would have written you a shorter letter Yeah, to make something that's a minute, 45 seconds, you are fighting over every word and moment to be able to fit everything in. When you're recording the script, you've got a stopwatch going to make sure that it's not going over. <laughs> like it is, it is something that because it's so limited, you have to think about like, okay, is this an idea that is too big to fit completely in, in this time slot? Um, or is this something that on it, like there's it's a fine line between something that's not even enough to fill that where it's just like that's just one fact, <laughs> you know, versus this is a explaining how like uh lift and physics work for how a bird can fly. Like that's that's something where we have that broken down into a lot of different episodes <laughs> because it is too complicated to do like a, a whole primer on that in a minute and 45. And so there's a lot of thinking about what is going in there. And, you know, you're really evaluating uh, the mixes and detail, like sweating the details because in a minute and 45 seconds, like, you know, you can, <laughs> you can listen to the whole thing many times to be able to, to give edits. Um, and so that's, it's something where people hear it and it, feels kind of effortless and it's so short that it's like, well, that must be very quick to make, but it's actually really <laughs> quite a few hours of work going to every episode of the show um, and, and different people uh, putting their different skills into creating something that, that feels hopefully effortless. Um, and the, it's something where, you know, 
it's been going for uh, 18 years now. The good news is uh, birds are fairly, uh, they, the episodes are fairly evergreen, you know, more, <laughs> even more than Mac Power users where I can go back and listen to an early episode and still learn a lot from it. Birds change pretty slowly, so <laughs> uh, we're able to do a lot of reruns, um, and and so we're somewhere between a third and a half of episodes each month are are brand new, and the rest are reruns. But still, quite a lot of of things to make. But it's a uh, certainly easier than <laughs> having to having to do a new episode every single day. Well, and the funny thing for it, Mark, is because I fell in love with your work with Welcome to Macintosh, where you were, uh, I don't want to, indulgent is the wrong word, but you you took your time <laughs> and really told those stories in a nice fashion. It was fun to go on the journey. You did a 25-minute episode on Steve Jobs doing a shimmy when he walked on stage, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. And so, but I love that. That, you know, I, as a, as an old jury attorney, a jury trial attorney, <laughs> telling stories is where I made my bread and butter. And I felt like I just love your storytelling. So it just seemed to me odd when I heard, oh, yeah, you're doing this thing. You've got to take that ability, but you've got to compress it to a minute 45. It's like a whole new skill set for you, I'd imagine. It's definitely a big change. And it's a constraint that I think in the same way that, you know, having creative constraints can really push you in new ways that. I think is really fun. Um, Birdnote also does a few longer form things, so I still get to to tell some longer stories and and use those muscles as well. But it is something that really uh, it gets your inner editor into shape <laughs> when when you know that you only have have so much time. And another thing that I love about your story is that you know you started doing this stuff in college. People do write us asking like, how do I get started in uh, these creative endeavors and my advice is always then make something if you want to do this mm-hmm. for a living you need to start doing it you know before you make a living on it and you're the prime example i mean you you made this podcast because you had an itch to scratch and you did an amazing job on it i'd imagine that enthusiast and welcome to macintosh played a pretty big role in you getting the job yeah it's it's something where uh i think welcome to macintosh definitely was an excellent, you know, uh, portfolio piece when I was applying enthusiast. I made after as a side project while I, after I'd started working at BirdNote. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it is something that made it much easier when I was looking for a job and, you know, was something that also, I think validated that like, this is actually a thing that I want to do. Um, it's not just like an idea that sounds appealing it's something that i've been having fun for uh several years making these types of stories and going into this as a kind of a vocation feels not just like an abstract idea but an extension of something i've been finding a lot of joy in did that joy ever stop or does it, or you know did it ever turn into just a job for you now that you're doing it for a living I mean, there's definitely, uh, you know, there's, there are cycles, uh, but I think, I think there's still like that core and especially anytime, you know, there's a project or a story that you're really excited about. I think that joy is, is always going to come back. Uh, even if there are times where it's like, you know, it is also a job, (laughs) but 
uh, yeah, no, that's, it's something that it's definitely not a never work a day in your life sort of thing, but, uh, it is very fulfilling in a way that, uh, would be hard to do. I think otherwise. One part of your story that I'm curious about, if I have my, my notes right, is that you spent some time, um, at NPR public radio. Was that as an intern? Yeah, um, I was an intern with NPR's Planet Money, um, and that was a a lot of uh, a lot of fun getting to work with super talented reporters. Uh, and you know, they've done some super fun projects, like the Planet Money makes a T-shirt. Uh, they were working on while I was there uh, buying and selling crude oil. Um, basically, just finding ways to take complex systems and more or less insert themselves into it to find a way to make it uh, exciting and fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. So that I, I definitely learned a lot from working with them. And uh, I think we'll get a little more into that later in the episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I think interning is, is such a, an interesting part of a, a lot of people's careers. I did not intern, but I worked at my college paper, which... It kind of served as the same thing, even though it was basically all students. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some grad students kind of helping us along, at least in the beginning. Um, and I'm just curious, sort of your thought on internship in general. It sounds like yours was really positive. Is that something that you encourage people who want to get into this field or others to to pursue while they're in school? I, I think it's definitely worth pursuing. It's something where they can be very competitive. And, you know, I'm grateful to see so many of the internships with larger organizations become paid or better paid if they were paying something before, um, where it can be more accessible for a lot more people. Um, and you don't have to necessarily live in (laughs) New York or DC on next to no money. Um, and so they're the biggest reasons why I think people would need to avoid them, um, have really started to fall away. Um, And that said, they've gotten, I think, even more competitive as a result, but they can be a fantastic experience and getting to meet people in the industry, get some mentorship from people who are so, so talented um, and also just get a sense of what it's like showing up each day at at that type of office and, and learning what that environment is like. Um, So I think there's a huge amount of value in that for sure. This episode of MPU is made possible by one password. The benefits of a password manager are, it's a super long list. You have all of your logins and your 2FA codes, everything with you on all your devices. And one password, of course, uses things like Face ID and Touch ID to make it easy to access those passwords. But starting in just a couple of weeks, 1Password will be rolling out support for passkeys. If you're not familiar with this, this is a passwordless future that we've been promised for so long. Starting on June 6th, you'll be able to save and manage your passkeys, which are biometric-based. You'll be able to save those in 1Password. 1Password even has helped make a directory of sites and services. It's passkeys.directory on the web. So you can see if the things that you're using every day support passkeys. Google, just for instance, rolled it out. 
And starting June 6th, you'll be able to save those in 1Password. Of course, 1Password also has all of the great features they've had for a long time. It's the best way to sync your credentials, bank account information, debit and credit cards with people in your life at home or maybe at work with 1Password for Teams. I use both uh, so I can keep things in sync with everyone in my life. We can all log into what we need to and keep everything secure. You can sign up for a 30-day free trial at onepassword.com slash MPU. And when you sign up, you get 20% off. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU. All right, Mark, let's get into the nitty-gritty. What's your Apple gear? Let's start with your Mac. Is it, it's, it's just a classic Mac, right? I mean, I feel like in my head, Canon, <laughs> that's all you've ever used. Well, I, I have a... Uh... Some uh, something sort of like that on a on a shelf, but uh, my my main setup is a uh, 14 inch MacBook Pro. Um, uses the M1 Pro chip. Uh, I've got a studio display. I think a pretty similar setup to what Stephen has these days, mm-hmm. unless you've changed it up again. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the same. <laughs> uh, got a, a fun little clicky keyboard here, uh, Keychron Q3 with. Boba U4T switches uh, and the essentially what the severance keycaps. So it looks like the computers in the Apple TV show Severance. Okay. Uh, so that's pretty fun. Not working with angry numbers though. And then uh, I've got a Logitech MX Master 3S mouse. So it doesn't really make any sound, which is really nice working in audio. <laughs> yeah. I've just, I've just switched to that mouse. Um, after years and years of using an old performance MX and it, I mean, I'm using it right now, like add things to the show notes and the click is absolutely quiet. It's amazing. I, I actually had that mouse for two days and uh, cause Steven got one. I said, well, I'm going to try it. And it only went right. It didn't go left. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened. I could only scroll to the right apparently, but oh, the, no. uh, yeah, I sent it back and didn't get another one. I'm like, well, maybe I'll just take a little break from getting crazy with my mice here. <laughs> I've definitely heard from some people who have tried the mouse, and the silent click for them is is very much a negative. Uh, where it's like they they need that that kind of feedback to to feel like it's working. But uh, for me, it's great. It, it it is it is a little weird to get used to, but it's it's fantastic in our line of work. Definitely, we've got a magic trackpad on the left side of the keyboard to use for gestures and things um and then uh inspired by y'all i've got a stream deck right above that (laughs) uh the 15 button one i haven't yet gone crazy with the xl or a double (laughs) double xl (laughs) i don't know what Uh, you're talking about But but yeah that's uh that's kind of the the main desk setup that i've got here at what point did you go to Apple Silicon? Was it like early in the release cycle or is that a, a recent thing for you? I got the the other, another computer. I have an M1 Mac mini um, that now is being used as a server. Um, and I got that pretty early in the Apple Silicon transition um, where I was still waiting for the MacBook Pros to come out. And my old machine was a little long in the tooth. Uh, and that was incredible to see how much better <laughs> the absolute bottom of the line Mac mini was than 
my very fancy MacBook Pro from uh, however many years before. And that has just been such a great change. Uh, I've, I've been very, very happy with the switch to Apple Silicon. Yeah, I am still getting emails from listeners that are like discovering the Mac, you know, the the Apple Silicon Macs. They're getting one. They and you know, it's fun to this day hearing people like, "Oh, I can't believe how much better this is." And you know, I feel like I I yammer on about it too much on the show, but we've really gone through something remarkable with the Mac yeah. in the last few years. It's it's something where I needed to kind of keep my my Intel MacBook Pro around, at least initially, um, just because a number of audio software uh, plugins, you know, they're some of the, often some of the slowest companies to, to uh, get things updated for new software releases and especially a change like that. But then before too long, everything that I actually relied on had official support for Apple Silicon and it all runs so much better now too. Um, and as soon as as soon as I could, I was trading in my my MacBook Pro and getting getting this one, and it has been fantastic. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that because someone like you who does uh, production work quite often for video and audio, it is those plugin vendors that keep you on an old mm-hmm. platform. I mean, <laughs> uh, we just had uh, David on a few weeks ago, who's a, a musician and he's using really old machines just because he does not yeah. want to monkey around with that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's something that uh, they either are very slow to make the changes and or are going to insist on charging you an arm and a leg to actually get those fixes. <laughs> so uh, I, I've i got everything running, and a lot of those things probably not going to change up too much in, uh, unless I have to. <laughs> Does the performance gains of the Apple Silicon translate over to those types of uh, packages, like the production plug-in stuff, or do they run? And because I would imagine those are pretty math-intensive when you're doing audio mm-hmm. processing. There's definitely, um, for quite a number of things, they're a lot faster. Um, if anything, I've kind of grown to appreciate it and uh, or grown accustomed to it where, you know, if I were to go back, I would be shocked at how long I was sitting around <laughs> waiting for, for my computer to render something. But um, now it's it's so quick that it's kind of just quickly become what I expect, I think. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, we'll get into maybe some of that a little bit later. Uh, are you, uh, you, you mentioned you had a home server and, uh, what do you use that for? And give us the details. Yeah. So it's just the, an M one Mac mini with a whole bunch of drives dangling off of it. <laughs> it's using that for archive storage for things that I don't have, uh, space or really need on my main computer. Um, time machine server Plex, uh, everything on it is backed up with Backblaze, and also using it for some automation using Hazel and Keyboard Maestro and Dropbox. Um, Some things like routine automation, since that's always on and running, um, adding tasks or tags to uh, things in my task manager, I use things. um, And I can have that happen at a specific time of day or whenever versus just having uh, the kind of repeating events uh, sort of thing, which there are some fiddly reasons why I want it that way. 
or I can have, uh, I have a shortcut that I made for my partner's phone um, where she can add tasks to my things inbox uh, where that has been a, a real, <laughs> uh, a real nice thing to have. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some cool stuff you can do with just a, a Mac that's always running. Turns out <laughs> I, I, I've been lucky enough. I've always had a desktop Mac running. Even my laptop at this point is just a desktop primarily. But uh, Steven, are you still using your mini server? Yeah, I've got I've got mine under my TV. In, in terms of server stuff, it's mostly Time Machine server at this point for uh, for a couple of notebooks running around the house, and it works fantastic for that. You know, it's just it's under the TV if the kids want to watch something on DVD. But uh, other than that, it's just kind of humming along. And mine's a a twenty eighteen one. Although I have so Jim Metzendorf, the editor of MPU, sent me I bought from him. Uh, an M1 Mac Mini that he was getting rid of. So I'm going to upgrade that to Apple Silicon whenever I get time to, to you know, go dive back into my entertainment center. But especially nice. the Apple Silicon one, man, you can just stick it in a cabinet and never think about it. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's it's great. What about the mobile side of things? Where are you with the iPhone and iPad? For the iPhone, I've got the 12 Pro Max. Uh, I It's the first big iPhone that I've had, and I love it. Uh, and I'm planning on getting the the Pro Max this year, or Ultra, or whatever they call it. Um, <laughs> then basically been waiting since it was clear that they were going to have USB-C on this generation, that this would be the one that I would go to. But then been pretty happy with the 12 Pro Max otherwise. So I'm not doing anything crazy there, but uh, definitely very happy with that phone. Yeah, I mean, there's now news reports starting to show up uh, showing that people are buying new phones less frequently. It's not just an Apple thing. It's kind of across the industry. And it's just what you describe. I mean, the phones have gotten good enough that the year-over-year improvements only attract the most ridiculous people. Like um, me and Steven. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's something where, like, it's definitely not to say I haven't been very tempted by uh, each of the each of the new generations, but it's it's something where trying to, uh, especially last year, having bought <laughs> having bought the the new MacBook Pro and the studio display, it was like, okay, I think I can. I'll skip this. <laughs> skip a, another year for the iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, Apple will be okay without your money for another year. I think they'll be they'll be all right. Are you an iPad guy, Mark? I'm very much not. I really like the iPad, but I the I'm the last one that I had uh my newest my most recent iPad is an iPad Air 2. <laughs> so that's what like 2015? Uh so not not super current on that uh and that lives inside the case of a macintosh classic so it's not even actually usable by me most of the time (laughs) i love it though i love it he has a picture we're going to share with you where he installed (laughs) an ipad in in an old mac i mean i am so tempted when i see this picture i'm not sure what i would do with it or why but i want this it's it's pretty fun. If really what I need to figure out is a way to the iPad, it's the I think the last generation where it was a 9.7 inch display and had 
about as thin bezels as that had. Um, yeah. And it just barely fits inside a hollowed out Macintosh classic. Uh, yeah. I got it. Uh, one that was broken for parts uh, on eBay and uh, set that up for um, actually for my senior project for uh, for college where had to have an installation so people could come and listen to my podcast and it's like well what do i have for someone to see when, when they go to to listen to a podcast in in a room um and so i set this up uh, and had a like color changing pixelated waveform uh of the show as it played uh, in a room that had kind of some computery rgb lighting uh and comfy chairs and uh now that that just sits on my on my bookshelf and uh, makes me feel a little happy each time I look at it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an absolutely fantastic project, and I think it it must have worked so perfectly for your show and that 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 project because uh, a lot of people don't have you know a lot of hands on experience with a compact Mac, so you're kind of giving them a history lesson yeah. while doing the show. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that's that's very fun. Uh, I I definitely uh, it's it's something that people are always really surprised by. Um, and if they if it isn't pointed out to them that this computer is has a much brighter and more colorful display than it should have, <laughs> yeah. then uh, people yeah. are just like, oh yeah, this is just an old Mac. Um, yes. Yeah. Did not have a retina display back then. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't occur to them that it would not be color, right? You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember at one point back in the day, I had a choice of a monitor that had higher resolution or a monitor that had color, and I picked the resolution because I've always been a retina junkie, even before the word retina existed. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do remember these computers. The, uh, uh, are you in the Apple Watch? Yeah, I wear my Apple Watch most days. I have a Series 4. Um, I've been tempted to upgrade for a long time, especially since the next generation was when they added the always-on display, uh, which is extremely useful for a watch. But uh, then there have been just a number of years where it hasn't had any big changes and feel like, well, maybe next time there will be something that feels more worth upgrading for. Um, and I, I've heard rumors that this year might be finally the year that there's a little more to, to get me to move. We'll see. You never know. <laughs> the, uh, we're, we're starting to enter the silly season with hardware, right? So, and, uh, and we are starting to get a lot of rumors around that stuff. The, um, one of the big rumors is, you know, Apple putting out a, a, a headset, which is, I think, primarily virtual reality, but some AR element to it as well with cameras mm-hmm. and whatnot. As a guy who's kind of invested in the Apple ecosystem, has that got any interest in that? I'm definitely intrigued to see what they do. Um, I am not expecting to buy this first generation of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I definitely look forward to playing with it and and seeing what it can do. But I have a hard time wrapping my head around what will be essential for it, especially at kind of the rumored level of price that uh, is expected of, you know, 3000 yeah. or so dollars is uh, a lot of money for something that at this moment is hard to articulate what will be essential mm-hmm. um, with it. But 
I expect that, you know, in a few years that that could very easily change. And it could be something where if there's something that, you know, developers find a way to make some of my audio workflows, like, uh, totally transformed with that, like, absolutely, I will be looking into that. Um, but I don't have quite the imagination for how it is going to change my entire world and workflow at this moment. But I'm excited to see. I mean, Apple new new Apple products always come down to the story of how they envision you using it and where it can make a difference. And I feel like this product, almost more than any other they've ever announced, maybe the iPad is the other one. Um, they need a good story to explain where this fits because it's not obvious, right? Yeah, it's it's something that both their story for how they anticipate you using it and then the developer story of what what do third parties and developers yeah. come up with that you know can take that ideally an, a few steps even further. Um, and I think that, you know, that feels like it's a, extremely possible, but nothing feels certain yet. And so it's, it's an exciting time to, to have that kind of anticipation and uh, possibility, but hard to, hard to say anything for sure. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. Go to macpaw.app/mpu and make your Mac as good as new and get five percent off. I do some of my best work at my Mac, and I love this computer, so I want to take good care of it, and I do that with Clean My Mac X. It's developed by MacPaw, which pursues a mission to help machines help you. And Clean My Mac X is an ideal decluttering app for the Mac to keep it in tip-top shape. We live in the age of SSDs, which means they're super fast, but not super big. And sometimes we just got to make sure that we maintain our Mac in a way where we don't run out of storage. Well, that's one of the many problems that Clean My Mac X takes care of for you. It keeps an eye on your hard drive space for you and helps you clean up all the junk you don't need on it so you can leave room for that most important work you do. I've got a recurring monthly OmniFocus task where I run Clean My Mac X and it always goes through and finds stuff for me. I just ran it this morning. It found 66 gigabytes of stuff I could get rid of. That's awesome. But Clean My Mac X just doesn't take care of your hard drive for you. It also protects you. They've got privacy protection and malware removal tools baked right in. So when you run that Clean My Mac X checkup on your Mac, not only are you freeing space, you're also helping protect yourself. And if that's not enough, they also have optimization and maintenance tools built right in so you can take care of all those scripts and all that other maintenance nonsense automatically. You just start up Clean My Mac X and let it do its thing. I've always been a fan of MacPaw, the company behind Clean My Mac X, and I started using this application very early. I'd say at least 10 years now. I've actually lost track of time, gang. What I can tell you is that I love the way they continue to update it and add additional features. In addition to everything else I've described today, they also have a built-in uninstaller and an updater. They've got a way to check in on your extensions. They've got a great feature called Space Lens that helps you find big files that you don't need to keep on your drive anymore. It uses this great visual format so you can drill right to them and move them off your main drive. Whether you're a power user or you're just an occasional user of your Mac, this application is right for you because 
It just has a ton of power on it. And if you want, it really can be as simple as pushing one button. There are 29 tools in total to prevent the most common issues that Mac users have. It prevents you from catching malware, prevents overheating, speeding up performance, and fighting hidden junk folders. It's notarized by Apple, so it's been checked for security, and they won the Red Dot Award for Best Design Mac App in 2021. In the free version of Clean My Mac X, you have a free menu app to check your Mac's health. All Mac Power users get 5% off. Check out the link in the show notes now or go to macpaw.app/mpu. Once again, that's macpaw.app/mpu or click the link in the show notes. I love this app. I bet you will too. Check it out now. Setup is one of my favorite developers in the Mac community and Clean My Mac X is just one more example of how they do software right. That link one last time macpaw.app slash mpu and thanks clean my mac x for all of your support of the mac power users so mark i want to talk a little bit about your uh your workflows as a producer on burnout and your other projects uh what are some of the the tools that you're that you're using for your audio work yeah so kind of the the classic thing that uh people think of for working with audio is what's called a DAW, a digital audio workstation. Um, Logic Pro is my personal favorite, uh, and that's what I use for all of my personal projects. Um, Pro Tools is what I use for BirdNote um, and is kind of the industry standard for uh, for public radio and those kind of adjacent podcasts. Um, it's made by Avid. Logic is something where it is made by Apple. It uses Apple's design language. Uh, if you are someone who has come up using the Mac and all of Apple's built-in apps, things are in the place where you expect them, at least as most as they're ever going to be. <laughs> uh, they're going to work kind of how uh, you would maybe guess they would work. Pro Tools uh, still looks like it's from the 90s uh, and kind of feels like it hasn't advanced that much in user friendliness either. Uh, they just last year added custom keyboard shortcuts. So <laughs> that's a innovative feature in 2022. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's something where it's, you know, pro tools is not my favorite application. Uh, all of the DAWs are to a large degree. They do the same thing. They've just moved the furniture around and uh, it's fine. You can, you learn how the different keyboard shortcuts work. You learn how kind of the mental model is optimized in, in the app and you're able to get the job done. Logic feels the most like home to me. Uh, and so I'm continually coming back to that. But you spend enough time working with any of them and you can be pretty proficient. But that's what I use for doing mixes, editing, audio, assembling, and fine-tuning kind of uh, uh, audio mix. But where it all starts is with recording. And um, over the pandemic, then, we had to really get better about recording remotely, uh, especially for people who don't have any fancy podcast gear like uh, the three of us. Then uh, I've tried so many different services and apps <laughs> Uh, and the one that I don't think is amazing, but the one that is best that I found is called TalkSync. It is a app that you have someone download. They put in a code to 
connect to your account and then they hit record. Then when they finish recording, it automatically uploads it to your account so that you can download it. Um, It'll record in high quality. And the biggest issue that I kept running into is Android uh, with other services and other approaches is Android phones still ship without a voice memo app built in. Um, People with an iPhone, I would as previously just telling them record a voice memo while we do the call over zoom. Um, and that worked great. Uh, but on Android, I had to keep trying to find like a free recording app and all of them had some horrible, horrible problem where either the recording got lost, the, they only recorded in like 16 kilohertz. So it's only like the lowest, <laughs> the low frequencies of the person's voice are there. It's like, absolutely unusable recordings and after a few times of something like that happening it's just like all right i i i need to find something that (laughs) is consistent um and so that that has been a big a big improvement did you did you ever look at some of the online digital tools i know some podcasters these days are you know there are online services now where you can do a recording Mm -hmm. without software where someone just logs in and plugs in a mic. I have the biggest challenge there is just the, they all end up being really fiddly um, where getting the right microphone selected uh, or, you know, it would want to switch to using um, some, like someone's wireless earbuds that they aren't actually, that are just sitting on the side of the table or some things like that, where it was just, not working consistently or dependably. And this is something where it's, you know, having, holding up your phone uh, next to your face while you do a zoom call on your computer is not the most seamless or smooth experience, but it has yet to fail me. So (laughs) uh, as long as it is more or less bulletproof, I am going to stick with that. I would rather have a pretty good recording than no recording at all. And I honestly, because as someone who listens to public radio, I know a lot of those interviews are done under less than ideal recording circumstances. And I think the audience is willing to go along with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's something where if someone uses uh, their phone for this, it actually can sound really good. Um, A lot of it depends on, the room they're in or some of those details, but it's, it tends to sound fairly professional. Um, it's not the ideal situation, but it's something where since using this, I've not had to worry <laughs> about, am I going to have a recording that is usable and sounds good? Yeah, I mean, just think about it 10 years ago or, you know, before the oh, iPhone. Gosh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's something where, the the old school method is you find someone in the area and you pay them to drive over with their recording kit and record while you the two of you do a phone call and there there's there is still some of that but especially um at the start of the pandemic then really had to figure out a way of like okay how do we do this where our interviewee is also their own recording engineer <laughs> and uh finding a way that is dead simple for that uh Took took some some experimenting, but pretty happy with this. Do you record at like at, at high fidelity? I mean, what 
I mean, there's a lot of people out there listening that may be thinking about doing some recording as a professional. What settings do you generally recommend when you're capturing audio? Yeah, so when I'm recording in person, recording anything myself, uh, I have a Sound Devices MixPre 3 2 recorder. Uh, really rolls off the tongue, the name. Um, but <laughs> the the 2 in it is an important distinction where it's uh, the second generation of this product. And it added a feature called 32-bit float recording. And this uh, is extremely nerdy. I barely understand how it works, but more or less with some crazy math that is happening in, <laughs> in the recording by making the file size a little bit bigger, but not hugely. Um, it's almost impossible to have the levels clip for your recording. Um, and that would be like if you're recording someone and they suddenly yell something, they speak loudly and the audio kind of sounds crunchy uh, where it gets too loud for the recorder to be able to actually process that. And it kind of just all becomes noise with this. You have that happen. You bring it into your audio editor and you just drag down the volume and that information is still there. It's not lost like it used to be. It still feels like sorcery to me, but uh, that is crazy feature that I cannot imagine uh, ever <laughs> ever buying a recorder that doesn't support that in the future. Zoom, uh, not the video chat uh, application, but Zoom, the recording device manufacturer, they have a number of recorders that support this now, um, including one that it doesn't even have volume knobs because why do you need those? <laughs> uh, which is just really hard for me to wrap my head around, but uh, is so cool um and so i i record with that uh as far as other settings then for audio it tends to be 44.1 kilohertz uh video they tend to do 48 either works there i don't think you will actually hear much of a difference but it mainly depends on if you're trying to sync up with video uh 48 is probably what you want and yeah that's uh and you you want something that is a lossless audio uh format so wave recordings rather than like an mp3 all right now i'm going to give you an alternate scenario somebody listening that wants to just go and record stories from their mom but they don't want to spend a bunch of money but it's a you know it's a good idea to capture those stories absolutely uh, what do you recommend if if it's something where you're just starting out or playing around with something uh honestly using your iphone's microphone is great um I like the application Just Press Record. Uh, it allows you to record as a wave file so that you have something that's higher quality if you want to be doing more processing or editing of it later. Um, or you could just record it in voice memos and it's fine. Uh, it's something where the microphone on the iPhone is really good. Uh, it's not going to be perfect, but especially if you are just getting started or recording something for posterity like it's going to do a good job uh it's not going to be something where you are upset about not having spent a thousand dollars on a recording kit to have a better setup and in some ways you know if you if you don't know how to use that fancy recording kit it might be harder to get good results with that anyway yeah, I mean, there's just so many stories my mom used to tell that I wish I'd recorded, or even just yeah. when my kids were little and things like that. I, I think a lot of listeners 
uh, get on that train faster than I did. Uh, but but uh, Mark, you are also a, an automator. I I saw that you've got some cool automation as part of your recording workflow. Could you share that with us? Yeah, one uh, that is a super simple automation, but uh, that makes me smile every time uh, it runs is just I have Hazel watching for my recorder's SD card. And as soon as it uh, it detects that, it auto imports all new WAV files into my inbox folder. Uh, I have a folder that I kind of use instead of the downloads folder as just this is where all incoming files go. And I route them from there. But that's something where I don't have to go in and look inside each folder and grab the audio files and remember is SD underscore one zero zero six. Is that new or not? Uh, and try and figure like I I don't have to think about that anymore. If it's new, it's there in a matter of seconds, and that is a huge quality of life improvement, which uh, took like five minutes or something to set up. And uh, those are those are my favorite kinds of automations for sure. So Mark, I know you do a lot of work with D- Descript, which is this uh, application and service. It's one of those things that's kind of hard to draw <laughs> the line between what's what. And it does all of this really cool editing, but via text. It's not the way that you would think about it. So could you describe what this tool is and how you're using it? Yeah, so Descript, um, it's the first tool that I ever was aware of that did text-based audio editing, um, where essentially what it does is you give it an audio file, uh, it generates a somewhat accurate transcript of the audio for you, uh, tends to be pretty good, um, and it's gotten better over the years. And then it lets you, it shows you the text, like a Word doc or Google doc or whatever, and you can go in and make cuts or deletions, copy and paste. But as you're doing that, it is taking those words in the audio and editing the audio file for you and allows you to move things around uh, super easily and think about it as a document rather than, you know, looking at waveforms, which when you're working, especially on the types of stories like Welcome to Macintosh for something where there's an interview for Bird Note where I just need like, what are the useful quotes that I'm, you know, I interview someone for 40 minutes and it's got to go into a minute 45. <laughs> I've got to find the the key part of, of this that I'm going to use. Um, and so for my kind of work, it is a really revolutionary way of editing where you can focus on narrative and story and the quotes and all of that rather than just looking at, you know, waveforms, which is much more useful when you're thinking about you already have all of the story kind of locked in and you're trying to clean up all of the edits, uh, make it sound as good as possible. But this is the ideal place to start for a first draft. Um, And crucially for me, you can export out of Descript uh, in a non-destructive way. Uh, It exports as an AAF, uh, which Logic or Pro Tools, they both use that. Um, uh, You can also export in other formats for Final Cut or for uh, Adobe Audition. But you can export where it doesn't kind of uh, render a new audio file. It tells logic or pro tools these are the 
edit points that I made. And uh, you can drag out and have the original audio if, you know, a lot of times the kind of rough edit that it does when you're editing in Descript, you want to make some of those finer edits because it's not quite exactly at the edge of a word and maybe something's missing or whatever. You you don't want to have lost <laughs> that uh, original part of the recording. And so that is a really essential element of it too. Um, and so this really does let you think about editing in a totally different way where it used to be you had someone do a transcript and put in time codes and you had to go and jump around in your editor and uh, like scroll to, okay, 10 minutes, 28 seconds. Uh, there it is. Listen to it. Oh, it's not quite as good as I thought that version of uh, them saying this thing was. Like it, it was just so much more tedious. Uh, that, uh, it's really hard to emphasize just how much of a paradigm shift this type of work is. I wish I could use this so much more. Because <laughs> I love the idea of it, right? You just read a transcript and you edit the transcript and then you've got a finalized product. But the problem for me is usually there's an attached screencast or a video and it just creates all sorts of heck with your video, with jump cuts <laughs> and and everything. But man, if you're just doing audio, this is the way. Yeah, it is. It it really is a huge leap forward for, for doing this kind of audio editing. Um, and for doing this kind of work, then, you know, uh, I, I started using it back in like the early alphas of the app in 2016. Uh, it was buggy, did not work great, uh, but it worked enough that like I am going to put up with this because I cannot imagine going back to, <laughs> to what, what I was doing before and the kind of hacks that I had to do to make that at all functional. Um, and and so this is such a exciting uh, kind of change in the audio world. Do you use Descript, Stephen? I mean, you do a lot of audio edits. I don't. The, the type of editing I'm doing is basically going through an episode and tidying things up. And so I'm not, usually I'm not editing for content as much as I am crosstalk and false starts and that sort of thing. So I have definitely played with it. About every three or four months, I'll drop an episode of Ungenious into it, which is my shortest show. It's like eight or nine minutes. And that is actually really interesting to arrange things in there, but mm. it doesn't really fit my my use case. I kind of wish it did. I wish it fit better because it is so cool, but it doesn't quite uh it doesn't quite fit. Yeah. It it is something that for something that is more conversational. Um you know, you can you can make it work, especially if you want to go in and cut out larger sections or do more of that kind of, as you're saying, editing for content. But it's actually kind of uh, clunkier to use when you're editing for things like crosstalk or things like um, a false start or whatever. Like it's it can work, but it's not it's really not what it's meant for. Um, and and so for my kind of work essential for editing a show like MPU, probably more of a hindrance than a help. <laughs> well, either way, you're right. It, it is a revolution in audio editing. And that's the kind of stuff that gets me excited as this technology evolves. And 
Uh, I do see a future where this stuff could be used with attached video as well. Um, that's the kind of like AI stuff I would like to see where it develops transitionary um, frames, you know, where you can make a jump cut without it being obvious that it's a jump cut. That's yeah. a, that's the kind of stuff I think would be interesting more than, you know, writing my essays for me, <laughs> but that there, there's, this isn't the end of this story. You know, we're just at the beginning of it. <laughs> I'll say uh good news for you. And maybe not so great for me uh, is Descript. Um, the company has continued to grow and get VC funding. And uh, I've actually found that the app has, if anything, kind of gotten a little bit worse over time, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. their big redesign recently storyboards is pretty focused on video editing um, in a way that actually makes it significantly worse for doing my job. Um, they still have my stuff supported as a classic mode, uh, but that seems pretty clear that that is not sticking around. And uh, so I am very keenly eyeing what other apps are starting to bring this type of functionality in. Um, just cause I don't know how, uh, how well Descript will continue to support my use case, but it does seem like, um, Adobe just added, uh, this type of editing into their video app premiere pro. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping that that expands to audition. Um, if logic added it, I would be so thrilled <laughs> that would be that would be something where i would be selling that hard to every uh to bird note to every uh <laughs> public radio place that this is the thing to use and let's get off of <laughs> these other apps and, and honestly the genie's out of the bottle you know whether descript is the person that does this for you or it's logic mm-hmm. or pro tools or some other app developer I feel like this is this is not going to disappear. You know, this isn't. Oh this, yeah. I mean, pretty soon you're going to be talking about the days where you edited waveforms the same way the old guys talk about the way that you had to <laughs> cut tape together, right? Yeah, literally. Yeah, literally splicing tape with uh, with that. Yeah, that's. Uh, I I did get to do a little bit of that in college. Uh, just my my professor felt like it's important that you know what we had to deal. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> what we had to deal with with a reel-to-reel tape uh, and definitely makes me feel very lucky to have uh, non, non-linear non editing. You've also got an automation routine for uh, mixes. Could you tell me, tell us a little bit about how you're using that one? Yeah, um, you know, I'm not mixing everything for BirdNote. Uh, for our daily show, we have an engineer who's fantastic um, and I'm one of the people given feedback and kind of splitting hairs on all of those. Um, and uh, especially in a minute 45, like the exact timestamp for for a note is pretty important then uh, just because otherwise it's like, which which occurrence of this thing did you mean or whatever? Um, I listen to those in VLC and have uh, a keyboard maestro uh, macro that uses an Apple script to grab the timestamp from VLC and paste that in with at, this time code, then I can quickly type out what my note is. There's a bump in the background or the level is uh, a little uneven here as we change the kind of background ambience. Um, And that is something that uh, saves me just so much time (laughs) Uh, and 
gets used a lot. I I wish more applications had ex- would expose things either with shortcuts or Apple Script or whatever. But I know IINA uh, is a fantastic app that does not have that uh, that sort of functionality exposed to be able to grab the timestamp from it. So uh, I continue to have both installed on my Mac, <laughs> and someday maybe I'll just switch fully over to that. But yeah, that's that's something which in giving feedback is uh, really great to not have to glance over and figure out like, okay, when when did this happen? Um, so that's that's definitely a nice uh, small automation there as well. I really love small automations. I think um, too often uh, those of us that talk about automation get too far down into the the weeds on this stuff. When it's these small ones, really, that I think often makes the most difference for people. It's also something, too, where they're the most approachable, I find, where, you know, hopefully someone listening, whether or not they work with audio or whatever, hearing something like that might inspire them to think of uh, kind of analogous automation that might be relevant to their job, um, where, you know, if it's the Rube Goldberg kind of automation where it's, I've got this to kick off one thing and then it sends uh, an email to this server. Like if you've got anything that's too complicated, I think someone who is not already uh, all in on automation can very quickly feel like kind of intimidated or have a harder time picturing how that could ever be relevant to them. Yeah. Not to mention Rube Goldberg machines often catch on fire. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, those I've I've definitely uh, had to remove any of those from any core functionality of lights or the house. Hmm. <laughs> uh, those are those are generally not appreciated <laughs> by by the non uh, non automators of the household. Yeah, I, uh, I that's an, a polite way of saying we got to keep you out of the doghouse. <laughs> the uh, uh apple has announced logic now for the ipad is an audio professional or are you thinking logic pro might bring you back to the ipad it's definitely got me really interested um it looks excellently done um it has a lot of the things that i really uh want the most like being able to make edits with the apple pencil you know i i just said that you know i'm glad that i'm not having to make cuts with tape but being able to have something that kind of acts like a splice, a literal splice tool is very natural. Um, and being able to draw in volume or automation curves, uh, so much better than trying to do that with a mouse. Um, and so there are things that look really appealing. Um, you know, there's the challenge of, as we talked about earlier with third party plugins, uh, there are places that a lot of, Brands do not have those available on the iPad. Uh, amazingly, quite a number do already, um, and so that definitely makes me think about which <laughs> which plugins I might want to use. Um, I think Logic actually, of all of the different DAWs, has by far the best built-in plugins. Um, that I think, if someone just wants to play around with audio editing, they really could get by with pretty much just logic um, and not need to get a fancy different EQ or compressor or whatever. Um, But the fact that I already have a bunch of those things, then I'm going to use what I've paid for. Um, And uh, then that's, 
those tend to be, uh, there are some of those brands that are on the iPad, and I think that those make them extra appealing to me now. <laughs> this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by ZocDoc. If you've ever stewed over a health problem, you know the temptation to text a friend or a whole group chat or Google your symptoms. Look, you're extremely unlikely to find quality medical advice in your group chat or your browser, but you can find it from a doctor on ZocDoc. Thousands of medical professionals are there ready to help you. They listen like a friend, but they give you the expert care that you need. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. There are lots of reasons to find a new doctor. Maybe you've moved to a new area. Maybe your previous physician has retired. Or maybe you're dealing with something new and you're just not sure who to go to. ZocDoc can serve all of those needs and so many more. When you're not feeling your best, finding great care shouldn't take up all your energy. That's where ZocDoc comes in. Their free app is used by millions of people. You can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with just a few taps in their app and start feeling better faster with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com MPU to download their app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C. ZocDoc.com MPU. Our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of the show. Mark, you made a great podcast about the Macintosh, which we all love. You're doing great work now, but your real claim to fame, let's be honest, is that you created an emoji. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely a fun story to tell people and one that really gets people very surprised and also continues to get me um, uh, weird... <laughs> weird like media requests uh where uh, a couple years back there was some drama involving emoji on the real housewives of salt lake city a show that i have never seen um but i was interviewed as an expert for, <laughs> for a story on harper's bazaar uh about kind of just emoji usage and stuff and this particular drama um where it's like i love that this bring kind of keeps me uh like it's such a unusual kind of specialization of knowledge <laughs> well well tell us the story how how did you get involved with emoji creation yeah so um i mentioned uh earlier how uh interning at planet money i i learned a lot from the people there and they i think are kind of just really masters with the kind of stunt participatory journalism where you know making a t-shirt or uh creating a music label is a recent one they've done where they kind of meddle and get involved uh to actually add some stakes and drama to something that at its core is a story about like here is how a bureaucratic system works or whatever um and it adds momentum to a story that may not have a clear main character uh otherwise and so that's uh something that while i was learning from them i kind of thought of i, I kind of came up with this idea of oh what if 
explaining how emoji work and how they're different from <laughs> from what people imagine. Uh, what if I could shine a light on that by creating one of my own? And and so to kind of uh, use a, a podcasting cliche to understand this, we have to go back uh, <laughs> then uh, and kind of go into the 90s where what an emoji is, uh, it's the idea of having images encoded as text, um, you know, kind of, kind of like wingdings, uh, but, uh, something where they're more playful, colorful than that. Um, and it started in Japan where, you know, you're sending text messages to each other. Uh, those are using very little data, but you still want to be able to express yourself with more than just basic text characters. And so emoji allowed you to put a small predefined set of images uh, into your text that were still sent in the same way that the letter A or uh, a Japanese symbol is sent. There were issues in terms of as these were adopted in Japan, they were not standardized between cell phone makers. So you could have uh, a different emoji appear for your recipient than the one you had typed, which easy to imagine how that could be. How that could be problematic. Uh, a, fl- a flower in one and a knife in the other. You know, that, that yeah. could be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, might might not send quite the message you, you intended to. And so eventually they kind of reached a relative equilibrium there of similar enough between the different phone brands. But they were not properly formalized. Um, but they were super popular in Japan. When the iPhone and was trying to launch in more countries, and Google was also trying to get Gmail to be bigger in Japan uh, at around the same time, you know, 2007 to 2010, they basically got the message of, if you want your products to be big here, they need to support emoji. Uh, that That's a non-starter if we can't have those. And so Apple and Google pushed to have the organization called Unicode. Uh, add them to their standards body. Unicode basically is a kind of boring academic organization that uh, is the agreed upon code points for text. So when I type a letter A and I send you a file, it shows as the letter A on your computer. You know, uh, in the early days of the internet, you might have gone to a website that was in a foreign language and you would get a whole bunch of absolute garbage of this showing up on your computer where it's like, I don't, it's an unreadable. It doesn't render correctly. And that's because they were using the same essentially number <laughs> for a letter in their language that is used in yours. And it just winds up, everything gets garbled. Um, and so Unicode is their goal is to have all languages, all alphabets, uh, standardized where everyone agrees you know this number equals this symbol um and for the most part it's a academic organization focused on you know like they spend a lot of time thinking about like dead languages <laughs> that act that uh someone studying them to be able to write up uh, a very small audience paper analyzing that language you know those are those are things that they spend a lot of time debating and working on. And suddenly they had emoji <laughs> added to their their uh, 
kind of their purview. And the process for proposing a new character, which was really only being done by computer scientists and linguists, now suddenly had just like a random person who really wanted to see uh, a different color heart emoji or whatever. And so suddenly the volume of applications really kind of skyrocketed. Uh, And to get a new emoji created, you have to write one of these uh, proposal applications making the case for why your idea should be among the set of predefined images. Um, I got to interview Jeremy Burge, who was a former guest here on MPU uh, and the former, he was the founder of Emojipedia and kind of talked to him about what what do the people want and currently doesn't have uh, anyone championing it, writing the proposal and making the case for it. And he said that yoga would probably be my best bet. Uh, I pretty much had never done yoga before that point. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I decided, all right, I'll learn what I need to, and I will champion this as a kind of weird public service. And uh, yeah, then writing a proposal, uh, it's changed a fair bit since I did this, uh, but generally making the case of, you know, is this a distinct image? Um, in meaning and the way that it looks uh, from the current existing set of emoji, you know, like uh, a flathead, like we really need a flathead screw or whatever. And it's like, well, we have a bolt. And for most cases, that's close enough. Um, Or one where it's like a glass of water. Um, It's like, well, we have a faucet with water pouring from it. And that kind of conveys the idea of drinking water already, you know, they're basically showing there isn't something that can say this closely enough, um, or that it would just visually look kind of the same as, um, how likely is this to be, you know, is this something that is like a super specific niche emoji or does it have wide possible use? Um, which could be like, you know, you know, for the yoga emoji, not just people who like yoga, but also conveying the idea of like Zen or calm. Um, and so the like possible uses of it are pretty wide. Um, it's important to show that it's not using like that. It's not a specific figure, like, uh, a particular person from history or something or copyrighted material, you know, uh, Superman or Starbucks, those can't be emoji. Um, and is there evidence that people want this and will use it a lot? <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of the general gist of what is needed for for proposing something. Um, and then Unicode gives that a thumbs up, thumbs down, or says uh, pretty often like, here are some details on like ways that it could be improved. Where you know, for mine, they their feedback was make you know a few specific things on, oh, it should be formatted slightly differently or change this wording. Um, The biggest change was changing it from uh, person doing yoga or something like that to person in lotus position, um, where having the name for it be very prescriptive is important because then when the emoji get released, every platform has to do 
an illustration of it in their own emoji font. So Apple and Google and Facebook and Microsoft, everybody has to draw their own version of the emoji. And if it's just person doing yoga, then, or person meditating or whatever, like there are a lot of ways that you could represent that. And if it's very specific, then it's a lot harder for that to wind up with kind of different uh, images that convey a different meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, then each year, a new version of Unicode is released, uh, platforms add support for it on kind of different timelines. Some are faster than others. And Apple uses that as a kind of carrot to get people to update their phones. (laughs) Um, and, uh, then as I mentioned, everyone has to draw their, their own things and you get some, sometimes some fun differences between them, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the general way that it all works and how that how that happened and probably the thing i get asked the most is uh if i make money off of of this uh yoga emoji um and the answer to that is no i i do not get any any benefit from people using it other than uh smiling a little bit when i randomly see it appear uh on the internet and getting to know that i helped make that possible i thought you got 10 cents every time it was used (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man, I would be I would be doing pretty well if that were the case. I think yeah. it's uh it's pretty popular. It is funny. I I've heard that those uh Unicode battles over what gets in and what doesn't get in can get pretty serious, you know, that those guys and gals really kind of get into it, but it's always fun when they've got new ones out. I know that, you know, uh, Federico and Steven do that thing every year where he has to try and determine <laughs> what they are. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's something where there is like very serious debate over it. Um they try and limit how many uh are added each year basically because they have to draw all of those within a few months. And so if there was like 500 uh you know whoever the emoji guy at at Apple is would be very busy. <laughs> uh and so they try to keep that to a pretty reasonable, you know, 20 to 40 uh, I would say like a year and, and, uh, the, um, so the amount that you're getting is, is pretty limited. And because of that, it's all of them have to compete for one of those spots. Uh, and it's like, well, is this important enough that it should, that it can, that we add it over some of these other ideas, which might be pretty good, but if we're only going to say yes to so many, um, which ones really rise to the top? All right. Okay. Lightning round, everybody. What's your favorite emoji? Uh, you are not allowed to pick yoga, though. I mean, we've, we've given that one the time here. You got to pick one. All right. Uh, who wants to go first? Steven, why don't you go first? I think my most commonly used one is the orange heart. I sort of mm. have adopted that one. But I think my favorite, at least right now, is the person like the dotted outline person that was added this year (laughs) because it's one of those things and you touched on this right emoji like culture graphs meaning onto them right like Mm, a peach absolutely or whatever Uh, and this one for me just like it's sort of like being dumbfounded but also like you're sad or shocked about something i don't know and the the design at least apple's design is hilarious so that that is a, a current favorite all right. Yeah, kind of like a person still loading. 
Now that would describe me most days. What about you, Mark? What's your favorite <laughs> one? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I, I'm also big on the orange heart. Orange is my favorite color as well. Uh, and so that, that tends, that's definitely a go-to. Um, I think some classic ones are the like woman, like posing, uh, with like, uh, like the face palm and the hand to the side, like where they're just kind of slightly off kilter, but convey, I don't know, they convey a certain amount of whimsy that makes me very happy. Um, those are definitely up there for me. I think that's a, a classic. The, the word favorite is definitely subjective, but you're both wrong. The answer is the saxophone. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm i a, a big fan of the sax. I That is what I played in uh, marching bands. Uh, I was not very good, but <laughs> uh, I guess that remi- I'll say the banjo then is a, another favorite. That's the instrument that I play these days. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Go to electric.ai slash MPU and unbury yourself from IT tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. When leading your small business, it's not all glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours onboarding an employee, which you're well-equipped to deal with, but maybe you shouldn't. The team at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges, and that's why they're on hand to help with the time-consuming parts of your business, like standardized device security with best-in-class device management software, employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving an average of eight hours per request, keeping a single point of visibility into your IT environment to control your devices, networks, and applications, simplified reporting that allows you to achieve and maintain compliance, and proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows. And look, if you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of the above services, but you're not sure where to start, Electric has a team of experts that will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. It's important to learn to delegate things like IT to other people in order to make your business work. I'm sure you could do this yourself, but why should you when you can get a team like Electric to do it for you and allow you to focus on what you do best? Now, for Mac Power Users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C dot A-I slash MPU. Go there to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones just for scheduling a meeting. And just imagine that, wearing those headphones, wireless headphones, getting some great music while your employees get their IT taken care of by someone else. It's a win-win. And our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power users. We like to wind down these times with friends with some favorites, some apps and services that, that bring them joy or that we haven't gotten to mention yet. So what do you have for us? Yeah, so first up is one that I think I learned about from another guest on Mac Power Users, um, but uh, it was very briefly mentioned, but um, it's called Open In. It is a super powerful uh, you set it as a default browser for the computer and it allows you to route links depending on rules that you set. Um, and so I use this to keep Safari as my personal browser. Firefox is my work browser. Um, you know, I can say if it comes from Slack, open it in Firefox. If it's opened in messages, Safari, things like that. 
if it's a particular domain or has certain things in there that I can set lots of very specific and targeted rules, as well as if I shift click on a link in uh, any app, then it will present a set of options of which of these browsers do you want. Um, and there are a number of apps that do things like this. Um, I had been using Choosy for years, uh, and that is also a great app. But this one goes further uh, than others where you know it supports things like focus modes. If you are in work focus mode, then have that open links in your work browser, or uh, it'll also support profiles and things like Chrome or uh, Chromium browsers that have those. And it can also do things beyond just links. Uh, it'll deal with emails. Uh, it'll deal with file types where you can set as the default file type uh, or like default app for a particular file extension. Um, and so I have that where anytime I'm opening a wave file, you know, I'm either going to edit that in something like Isotope RX, which is a project uh, tool to clean up and repair audio, or maybe in VLC. And so I double click on it and it gives me a prompt of which do you want to open this, uh, this file in. And that saves me time over having to do the right click carefully, mouse over, open in, find the right one of like 30 audio apps that I have. Um, and I can still do that, you know, if I need something other than one of the top few, but um, it just has a lot of power to it that honestly I haven't fully explored, but I think uh, the Mac power users audience would have a lot of fun playing around with that. Uh, well, Mark, anytime a guest uses the word focus mode, it's like laying <laughs> a very shiny toy at my feet <laughs> and it is impossible for me to pick it up. I just, so let's just take a brief interlude. Give us what, give us your favorite focus mode and how you've configured it. Um, I, I haven't gone so far into it. I think, uh, the main thing for me is just like having like a work and a personal focus mode where having my home screens be different on my iPhone where it's showing me my work apps and I have to kind of work to find my, or I have to put in effort to find my work email uh, when I'm not on the clock, you know, that makes a big difference. Um, I think that there are a lot of things like that, that, you know, just making it where there is friction between doing the, thing that you want to or are supposed to be doing at that time and possible distractions and you know in time when you're working that's maybe getting to tiktok or to your messages or whatever and when you're off the clock then that's getting to your work email uh, where it can be really easy to muscle memory just check and see if you have anything new otherwise and so i really appreciate having ways to kind of add guardrails to just kind of instinctively going to something that isn't the what I want to be doing with my time. Um, and I think it's super exciting to see what Apple does with focus modes. And I'm, I'm hopeful that they will uh, continue to really keep, keep their foot on the gas with the uh, with features. So Fingers crossed. I think uh, next to Apple Silicon, this is my favorite thing they've done in the last few years. But I'm a weirdo when it comes to things like that. Uh, what What are some of your other favorite apps and services? One that uh, I really love is 
Photomater, uh, formerly called Pixelmator Photo. Um, they actually just today uh, launched the version for the Mac, and uh, I love this app so much. It is a fantastic image editor that has lots of power while also being very fast and simple to use. Uh, it is the exact right balance of power and complexity for for my use cases. You know, if you're uh, doing photo editing for a living, maybe you want something a little more, but it has now abilities to create like masks and uh, do easy object removal or content-aware fill. And the honestly, their machine learning uh, auto kind of like suggest edits are quite good and a really good kind of starting place to uh, go in and fine-tune and then add in kind of your own personal style onto it. So that that is uh, an application where I downloaded uh, Pixelmator Photo or downloaded Photomator for my Mac today and uh, immediately giving them my money. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, 100% agree. It is like if you want to make better photos but not have to study how to make better photos, this is the <laughs> app. And uh, I've always been aware of it on iOS, but I do most of my photo editing on the Mac. I've actually used Pixelmator Pro for a while, but it, I, they put me in the beta on this, so I got to play with it. Mm-hmm. And man, it's good. It's just so good. It's, yeah, it's and, really and, great. And it really does not take a lot of work to do it, and you can get in there and uh, and just make nice edits on your photos. That's all. No yeah. subscription. You pay for it. You're good. I think I'm not sure. I think it might be subscription for the Mac version now. Um, I actually would have to go in and the, um, check. Oh, I, I look because I, I actually bought it as well this morning. <laughs> They've got <laughs> at launch that it's a lifetime uh, seventy dollars. So yeah, that's lifetime also what access. I did. <laughs> but the um, but they may have a subscription available. I don't know. But the, the uh, with the Pixelmator stuff, I've always bought their their light their lifetime license and been happy. They continue to update it yeah anyway well you you get you hit a nerve with me on that one uh what are some (laughs) of your other favorite apps this one's uh pretty specific but uh it's an app called pinball map my partner and i really love playing pinball uh and this is a kind of community-led uh database of what places have pinball machines and which one uh people leave notes on like whether they're in good condition or uh, if something's maybe broken. Um, And it is something where, uh, especially where I live now, there's not much in town. And so when traveling, then it's really exciting to get to go and play uh, on more machines. Uh, I think pinball is super cool that it's this extremely analog game. um, And it's part of why they need a lot of maintenance and repairs is because there is a not so light metal ball slapping around the components <laughs> repeatedly. Uh, that's how it's supposed to work. And the users are nudging the machine, trying to oh, get the yeah. ball. You're, you're <laughs> slapping the machine and tilt, uh, trying to avoid tilting it too much, but enough that you can keep it from draining. And there are some really fun themes too, where, uh, you know, pretty much any, <laughs> any franchise or intellectual property under the sun, there's a game for it. Um, and then uh, I particularly love the 
more recent Jurassic Park game. Uh, that one is very fun. It's got a like motorized T-Rex head that you shoot the ball into, and it's very silly. But uh, And the John Williams score for it really makes it feel very uh, dramatic. <laughs> yes, of course. John Williams should score every pinball machine, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> just, just everything in the world, really. This is really cool. Uh, and I like that it's like Patreon-backed and community involvement. That is, this is one of the things that like the internet's so good at, right? You oh, have yeah. people in this community interested in this thing, and you have thousands of users just out in the world providing data and, and giving feedback, and that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's something where like this is so much of like the kind of old school internet, but still getting like I think it's a very well done app that gets updates pretty frequently, improving things, which uh, is so cool to see. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the one in Memphis. They're, they're a couple uh, closer to me than I thought. Yeah, they're, I can tell you more about some of those. I've checked uh, checked out most of the places in town. I think. <laughs> one last one uh is this app called warp terminal um i forget how i stumbled across this but basically it is like an ai super powered terminal that i'm sure could be very useful for pro users to make their uh workflows even better um but if you are someone like me who occasionally opens the terminal and can never remember (laughs) what the right language and commands are, uh, then having something that's doing predictive text and helping use AI to uh, make this easier, fantastic uh, for kind of uh, keeping me from needing to spend, you know, half the time I'm using the terminal, remembering how to use the terminal. <laughs> uh, so I, I definitely recommend people kind of poking around in that. It's a pretty nicely done application. Yeah, it looks really nice. I'm I'm clicking through some of the screenshots now on their site. And, you know, the terminal on the Mac has been basically the same forever. I mean, they changed shells a couple of years ago. I haven't because I, 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 my brain can make the switch. But yeah, <laughs> same. yeah, but this uh, this seems to bring some like the new thoughts and, and new ways of doing things that you find kind of scattered across a bunch of different, not only terminal applications, but also like text editors kind of brings them into one place. This looks, yeah, this looks really cool. Yeah, I think um, a very fun thing to play with. Uh, and whether you are a terminal novice or someone who lives in it, I think kicking the tires on it, uh, you'll probably find something that excites you in there. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing uh, your insight with us, your emoji, and all the great stuff you've done over to Welcome at Macintosh uh, up until today. Where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, it's been great, great being on the show. Um, People can find me uh, on Mastodon. I'm at Bramhill on Jurna.host. Uh, that'll be in the show notes <laughs> if, yeah, well. uh, if people need uh, help with that. Um, and my site with all of my various projects is just markbramhill.com. Yeah. And we will also put a link in for the Welcome to Macintosh podcast. What I said at the top of the show is so true. If you like the Mac Power users and you haven't listened to this, you are just in for such a treat. 
And uh, <laughs> we want to thank our sponsors today, 1Password, Clean My Mac X, ZocDoc, and Electric. And we will see you next time.